Hey everyone, a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude, all of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast you can find at guiltgracepod.com. Dot com, as well as our brand new confessional podcast network, which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the confessional podcast network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans for 2023 and beyond. and We would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode. I mean, I just think of kind of a mind-blowing picture, but through... The, the, the sort of ordinary wardrobe of worship that God gives us in his word, the means of grace, right? We sometimes talk about the preaching of the Bible, the sacraments of grace. Through these ordinary looking things, this ordinary wardrobe, we are transported into another world. That's what the Bible teaches. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we are on a season for the Reformed Church episode. We're happy to say we have Pastor Adriel Sanchez back on our show today. We're excited about that. We're going to be talking about biblical worship. So that's what we're going to be talking about today with Pastor Sanchez. And uh, before we jump into this conversation, a reminder, as always, on our show notes. So there's information about how to find a Reformed church near you. You you hit that link, type in your zip code, you'll find the closest Reformed church denominations in your area. As uh, we always say, the most important thing is that you... Uh, worship God the way we are prescribed to do so in person. So I'm sure that ties into this episode a little bit today as well. And then your uh, some information about how to contact us, whether it's directly with Peter regarding his church that he's starting up here this summer in Santa Ana, California, or it's uh, just general questions and comments about our show. Um, you can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is guilt grace pod and uh, we're pretty active on those social media platforms you can watch these videos on youtube and then uh, you can also email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com and uh, there's also some uh, resources we'll put in the show notes regarding uh, some information that we have to help us along with this season for the reformed church season uh, some uh, some publishers have really helped us out, giving us some materials to work through. 
But uh, this episode is going to be fantastic because we have one of the best. We have uh, Reverend Adriel Sanchez helping us out with biblical worship. And so I'll let Peter further introduce Pastor Sanchez. Yeah, we've had him on. Uh, we had him on last last season. We had a, I should have looked this up before we started this this episode, but we had him on um, to talk about it was the end of season three. Um, it'll come to my mind when as we're as we're doing this. So I don't some, even I don't even remember what I talked about last time, but I think fun. it was good. It, it was, was yeah, it was, it was probably really good. It was good enough for both of us to forget. So that's covenant theology. We were talking about covenant theology. Yeah, we were talking about. <laughs> That and the sacraments it. and the sacraments. That's yeah, right. That's right. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I remember that now. Yeah, that's covenant insurance. There was a uh, sacraments and assurance. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Cool. So yeah, we have them. We have them back on to talk about biblical worships. So we're going to talk about uh, liturgy, worship. What does the Bible say about worship? How should we worship? Is it prescribed to us? All the, also also some of the some of this stuff. Uh, if you guys are hearing my voice, I'm just now getting over. Uh, not really a cold, but like. Um, using my voice a lot this last week at elevation, um, not the church, but on a mountain. So it was, my voice is just now coming back, but yeah, it's a pleasure to have you back on Reverend, uh, Reverend Adriel. How, how's it going? It's going well, man. Keeping, keeping, we just had our fifth child a handful of months ago. So she's, she's six months, a little bit over six months now. And that's been a blast baby Monica and mm-hmm. uh, church has been life in the church, you know, good, mm-hmm. challenging, uh, privileged to, to get to serve the church. And yeah. so, yeah, things are good. Family's good. Nice. And so, I heard you're, uh, you're not sleeping much these days. No, no, I'm not. I honestly, I feel like our, our oldest is 10. And I think since he was born, we haven't been sleeping well. Oh, <laughs> the last like, decade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I haven't slept. Well, yeah, 2012 years. is the memory yeah. from, from now. Yeah. I can't wait till I start sleeping again. Uh, with the the new baby so is baptism fresh on your mind even more than it always is oh yeah i mean i just every day think about baptism so uh it we she was baptized not too long ago it's really wonderful i mean also really special for me as Uh her father to get to baptize her and um so just just beautiful, really grateful to the Lord for his promises to us yeah. and to our children. So no, that's awesome. Yeah. If you guys want to learn more about those promises, you guys can go back to season three to see what this does for us and how this assures us. So if you, right. yeah, you like that little tie-in, we're getting we're getting better at this Amen. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you guys are pro. You guys are pro. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think we asked this question last time. Um, but can you tell our audience if they don't know you from core Christianity, if they don't know you from North Park or anything like that, can tell them a little bit about your background, what you do, what you're interested, all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, well, long story short, became a Christian in high school and, um, here in Southern California, uh, had a sense of call to ministry early on, began pursuing that through college, ended up in, in seminary at Westminster here in, in uh, Southern California. And uh, through that, ended up in the PCA, got ordained in the PCA nine years ago. So uh, just celebrating our nine-year anniversary uh, since, since my ordination and uh, praising God for his faithfulness there. Uh, planted a church in North Park, which is uh, here in San Diego, kind of close north of Balboa Park. So if, if listeners are familiar with Balboa Park, a beautiful park here in San Diego, we're just north of there. And, uh, and then also really just 
uh, uh, sweet, sweet opportunity and privilege have been able to work together with an organization called Solar Media um, to uh, host a radio show and broad, uh, podcast, broadcast podcast called Core Christianity, where people call in live every day for 30 minutes and uh, ask questions about the Bible. And wow. our audience there is, is really broad. So, you know, Christians who listen to Christian radio throughout the United States. And so it's a lot of fun to get to hear their questions and yeah. uh, dig into the scriptures and uh, provide our, our perspective, our understanding uh, on, on a number of passages in the Bible. And then, and then you know, hopefully some pastoral uh, yeah. insight as well. So, yeah, I, that's just, I'm, I'm really grateful. I feel like in, in many ways I'm, I get to live the dream uh, serving as a pastor and then also getting to work together with a great organization like Solar Media in, in doing theology and, yeah. and evangelism even through, through that. Means. So it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, it's cool that you, uh, uh, you, you probably get kind of consistent questions on a, on a day-to-day basis that I think not like most pastors don't, uh, but at least you're, like you're hearing these things from people not just within your own congregation, but outside your congregation. And I, I'm sure it helps when you're developing sermons, when you're talking to people, or you're counseling, these questions are always kind of ro- like kind of rolling through your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of overlap, right? It's the stuff that uh, we as Christians just generally struggling with the sense of assurance, um, mm-hmm. practical guidance, you know, understanding God's will for my life, uh, problem passages in the Bible, you know, I read this text in Hebrews 6 or in Hebrews 10. I'm wondering if I can lose my salvation. What's going on? Mm. Um, so there is a lot of, there is a lot of repeat and overlap, um, but it, it still feels really fresh because every, every caller is different and they're sort of approaching it from a different angle um, and maybe have a different sort of uh, need behind their question when they're, when they're posing it. And so um, really, like I said, a great, a great privilege and glad to be on the the, the show with you guys today yeah. and I'm uh, grateful for the work that you guys are doing too. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, I about core Christianity. I love that show. I just love, and you, you're doing what our mission is, is it's just bridging the gap and you're you just doing getting, it better. You do way better, way better. <laughs> and you're getting as a pastor, you're, you're constantly getting like the real raw questions off the street. So it's, it's just, it's very helpful show to listen to. You guys really should. Pl- we'll put that in the show notes, like plug it in and get you guys to start listening to that show as well. So, um, and I'm sure um, to, to, to tee up my, my next question, um, I, I'm sure you've probably been asked questions about worship before. Like, what yeah. is worship? Does the Bible say anything about worship? And as we were, as we were talking, as we were emailing about this stuff, I, I, loved, I loved your response this wasn't necessarily the response I expected, but it was, I think it was a response I needed. Um, but it was, uh, it was a helpful response that you want to talk more about. What does the Bible say about worship? Um, how should we understand worship? How should we approach worship? So kind of, kind of in a general question, like you talked about, um, what, what is worship and what does the Bible say about it? Yeah. Well, I think it's so important to, to pose the question in that way, because a lot of times when Christians think about worship today, they're not going to scripture first in order to, to determine what worship is and how it should be conducted. Um, but they're thinking like, OK, you know, we're starting a church in this area. Uh, what's the niche demographic? How should we sort of build our service around this individual, this person that we're trying to reach? Um that's where you get into the sort of seeker sensitive consumeristic 
models of worship. And I, I, I definitely think in, in worship, we want to be sensitive to seekers. I mean, we want to make the gospel uh, uh, understandable as we present yeah. it. We want to help people understand what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. But so often when, when people think about the shape of the worship service today, they're, they're not asking questions of the Bible. They're just sort of like, well, what, what's going to work? What's the most pragmatic thing that we can do in order to draw people in? And, and so the ends sort of justify the means. When in reality, when you look at the Bible, God uh, cares not just about the, the fact that he is being worshipped, mm. but he cares about how he's worshipped as well. And this is something that you see all over the place. So if we're, if we're thinking about um, what worship is, I, I like to say worship is our journey into heaven in one sense through the ordinary means that God has given to us uh, to communicate his grace. And, you know, the, the illustration I like, yeah, I know I, I came up with that, but the illustration I like to use is, you know, in, in the line, the witch in the wardrobe early on uh, when, when the kids are, you know, at the house of the professor and they're, you know, combing through the, the rooms in this great big mansion and, you know, going around and, and finding, you know, neat little things here and there. And then they go to this room where there's an, an, an ordinary looking wardrobe. It's just kind of empty and uh, dusty, the room. And all there is the wardrobe. And, and most of the kids see that. And there's, you know, it's just sort of like, well, there's nothing to see here, really. And they move along. But the youngest, uh, I think it was Lucy, uh -huh. uh, she's curious. And she opens up the wardrobe and she begins to sort of, uh, you know, swim through the, the coats that are in there. And she discovers uh, after entering into the wardrobe, that she ends up in this, in this other world. She's in Narnia, right? And she's like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. And I think that's what biblical worship is meant to do for us. I mean, that is sort of like a, a, a you know, I mean, I, I just think of kind of a mind blowing picture, but through yeah. the, the, the sort of ordinary wardrobe, of worship that God gives us in his word, the means of grace, right? We sometimes talk about the preaching of the Bible, the sacraments of grace, through these ordinary looking things, this ordinary wardrobe, we are transported into another world. That's what the Bible teaches. And this is true, I would say, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I mean, you think of, of uh, God's uh, instruction to Moses in Exodus 25, where he's been talking about uh, making the, the tabernacle and he's saying, look, you, you sort of build the whole thing off of the model that I'm going to give you. It, it's, it's modeled after the heavenly reality, the, the temple in heaven. And so in one sense, worship under the old covenant was, um, you know, through, you know, the priestly ministry, people entering into this heavenly reality. It's this picture of heaven. It's the meeting of heaven and earth and everything that you had in the tabernacle and in the temple was meant to communicate to you that you're you're no longer here on earth. You are now in the presence of the cherubim. You are in in heaven, you know, where, where the throne of God is and where God is communicating his truth to you, uh, his grace. And I, I just think that we we miss that so much today in worship, especially when we when we domesticate it and we when 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 it's so pragmatic and we're not asking the biblical questions, um, we lose that otherworldliness that sense of god is communicating his gifts to us and he's actually lifting us up into his presence into another world um to receive 
his gifts, the gifts that he has for us. And so uh, you see that in the Old Testament. I think, you know, a, a passage that I really like to work off of in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 12, yeah. where I think the author of the Hebrews is describing uh, the gathered Christian assembly. And he says, look, we're not going to Mount Sinai, um, you know, where they, where they were terrified and they received the law. We, when we come together for the sake of worshiping God, we're, we're going up to the heavenly Mount Zion, mm -hmm. to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're meeting with, you know, God. We're, we're there to hear a better word um the ultimately the word of the gospel the word of our justification the forgiveness of our sins uh we're being transported into heaven through the means of grace and by faith that's what i want man like that's what i that's what i want in worship that's what i need and that's what i want to communicate to people because i think when we have a really low view of worship a very not biblical view of worship a domesticated view of worship then what ends up happening is people think i don't need that why do I need that? I could get I could get that, you know, in my living room listening yeah. to a podcast. I don't why do I need to get together with people? Um and and frankly, I you know, I just think that in, in so many churches, worship has been so domesticated. We we just want to make it like we want you to feel like you're in your living room, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sipping your coffee. There's a big screen TV, and uh it, it's it's just like you're at home because we want you to be comfortable. And again, I understand wanting to make worship accessible but what's always communicated in the bible with regard to worship is we're not at home in our earthly home we're we're being transported into heaven the powers of the age to come are breaking in and so i've already i've already began to ramble on and on and no, on that's, but that's that's i think right, yeah. just a small piece of what worship is the meeting of heaven and earth um through these ordinary means that god has given to us um God is transporting us to another place. And through worship, we are being transformed as the people of God. G.K. Beale, you know, he talks a lot about this uh, in his book, We Become What We Worship. And this is another principle that we see in scripture that worship shapes us. Um, it shapes our theology, um, but it also shapes us as, as individuals more and more into the image of Christ. Um, and so, and so biblical worship, uh, informed by the scriptures, like God commands is molding us, is molding us more and more into the image of Christ. Mm -hmm. That's, and, I, I, I'm assuming too, those who are listening or those who know others who, who may not be part of this. And, um, this is, this will probably sound like in an entirely new way of, of approaching worship, where I think mm. kind of your general, uh, the non-Christians may, may not know, or they may, I think they may see this like relatively the same stuff that kind of broadly evangelical or um, those who, who maybe haven't thought as, as deeply about worship where it's worship maybe tends to be kind of the feeling you get during kind of that guitar riff right in the middle of the, right of the solo, like, oh man, like now, like now I yeah. feel like this That's is, right. this feels good. This is, this is the, uh, this is the endorphin rush that I was looking for that I can kind of ride throughout this week. And I look forward to next week, which not in itself is wrong, but it's we're we're looking to the wrong thing to um, to show us who we're worshiping. But it's yeah, yeah, it's an entirely different way of viewing worship. Entirely different way. Sure, and and I know like one thing that I think is important to say is you know there, there's that that sort of debate about um, well, isn't all of life worship? 
Yeah. Right. Like I, the priesthood of all believers, we can approach God and his throne of grace at yeah. any time. Mm. And this is, this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I, thought, I, I think we have to, we have to embrace that. I mean, this is one of the beautiful things. And so much of our worship, when you think about like the, the priestly sacrifices under the new covenant that are described, these offerings of Thanksgiving or Hebrews yeah. 13, doing good to one another, sharing with each other, uh, Romans chapter 12, right. Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Yep. So we're presenting in, in, in worship to God, we're presenting all that we are to the Lord um, before God and for the good of our, our neighbor. And so that does involve all life. Um, but I think it's so important that we also recognize that there's something distinct and unique that's happening when the church gathers together um, to receive the means of grace, to hear God speaking to us from heaven uh, we can't minimize that. And I think a lot of times the, the sort of all of life is worship versus uh, worship is this unique, you know, distinct event. Can, they can kind of be pitted against each other. Yeah. Or flattened out in some sense. Yeah. 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 And so we have to have a high view of the Christian life as an offering of worship to God, but also of the uniqueness of what's taking place when we come together and the powers of the age to come are breaking in on the church, the community of faith through God's word, uh, through that rain from heaven. And so, yeah, another, another, just in terms of right, like tramping transported into heaven. And I think this gets at, uh, the, the, the kinds of things we should be doing in worship. Cause I think in worship, this is what we want to be communicating to people that God is summoning us up to himself to receive his gifts. We're being taken to another place, another world years ago. Um, I went to Disneyland with my kids uh, on on uh, grandma's cab, you know, because Disneyland is like crazy. <laughs> so we go to Disneyland and uh, my daughter is just old enough to ride Space Mountain. Mm-hmm. And have you guys have you guys been on Space Mountain? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Right. And so, you know, like you're, you're waiting in line to get on the roller coaster and it's like you're in this kind of space station. Yeah. Um, right. Like it, it's it's you're you see all the gadgets and lights and all these mm-hmm. things you just feel like you're in this space station and so she's she's looking at everything with these big eyes and holding my hand the whole way and then finally we get on the roller coaster and it begins to sort of like you know click clack mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. upwards and and you're you're it looks like you're going up to some like some galaxy or something like that and then you drop in on the roller coaster and it's all dark and there are lights everywhere and it looks mm-hmm. like you're in in outer space Mm-hmm. And when that happened, my daughter, she was startled. She looked at me and she said, are we in space right now? Like huh. she, she was like, are we actually in space right now? <laughs> yeah. um, because every, like everything around her was communicating to her, like we're going somewhere else. We're, mm-hmm. we're right. That's worship. Christian worship is through the, through the ordinary wardrobe of worship. We are, we're going somewhere else to hear the good word of the gospel, to receive God's gifts. And that is like, like you said, uh, Peter, that's new for a lot of people, but I think if we can recover that, it'll be a really good thing. It's and not it, new, but yeah, I think people, yeah, don't know where it comes uh, from. So they think it's new. Sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into this. I think like, yeah, Nick will ask some questions that'll, that'll get into, the, into some of this stuff too. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. I, I'm going to be at Disneyland actually in a few hours, so I oh. kind of want to take. I kind of want to get on Space Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, around you, it's like you know where we're going, right? Yeah, right. Uh, 
no, this was this a, a couple things that I jotted down that stuck out. That was a great explanation. I think what you're saying too, when we look at our sanctification as believers in our Christian life, that is a seven days a week thing. We we are believe we are part of God's family seven days a week, 365 days a year, right? Yeah. But uh, what you're saying also not to flatten or separate it uh, Sunday, Lord's day, the Sabbath, we are called to worship in person uh, doing uh, prescribed to worship God, the way he biblically tells us to do so seeing the seeing and experiencing the three true marks of a church, the preaching of the word exercising the sacraments, which is the Lord's supper and baptism seeing church discipline played out that that is played out when you're in a community of believers in a place of worship in person. Mm-hmm. So did, did I, did I kind of uh, explain yeah. that from what you said pretty well? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, they should be sort of informing each other. So like the gathered yeah. assembly, you know, we're, we, we go up to Mount Zion to hear the sure word of the forgiveness of our sins, to have the promises of God sealed to us, um, and then to be sent out into the world, commissioned by Christ as his priestly people, um, as his prophetic people. We oftentimes, you know, we'll talk about the priesthood of all believers, but Joel too, right? There's there's also this sort of universal prophethood where we're called to, to proclaim the excellencies of the God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And actually, I mean, this is this is stuff I, I just like geek out on, but like if, if you, in the Old Testament, you know, prophets were commissioned by being brought up into the divine council and then and then sent out with a word. Yeah. And we're saying like the Christian worship service, Christian liturgy is God inviting us as his people up into his presence, into the very throne room where we join the angels singing, holy, holy, holy Lord, uh, the sanctus. Why? Because we're in the presence of God in his throne room, receiving uh, the body and blood of Jesus. And from that place, God is sending us out as, as his people, um, as, as those who have this sure word uh, on our hearts and on our minds that we're called to communicate with the people around us. So, so the worship service should be uh, serving us throughout the week and helping yeah. to shape us in, in just, just the callings that God has given to us, the general office of believer serving the Lord. Um, and so, yeah, you, you got me on, on that one. That, that's uh, but good. I, in my mind, it's just like, it's there's so much richness that we just don't talk about. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, it's because we've been looking in the wrong places to try to figure out what worship should be. We're not going to the scriptures and meditating upon what they tell us about God, what he's done for us, what he's doing for us now in worship. Um, and, and so we miss a lot of that richness. Yeah. And I, it's we're getting properly nourished uh, through, uh, worshiping God, the way he tells us to, we're getting the proper, real, good spiritual food versus junk food, trying to do worship our way, manufacturing it our way, manifesting it our way. We're actually doing it the way he tells us, which he knows best. He's our creator. 
And something that you said also that keeps sticking out to me, because my pastor says it a lot too, because if my pastor, um, John Morse says, if if somebody asks him, what kind of church do you go to? Uh, He says a a ordinary Christian church. And, and a lot of what that means is what you, you, you said it a few times, ordinary. And that is, I think the reformed biblical view of worship is beautifully ordinary. And it's not a way to say that it's dull. And if we think it's dull, it's because of us, not God, <laughs> but in, it's a way that we are not adding our own devices, our own manifestations, our own manufactured ways of how we think it should be more exciting. So I think that was like something I wanted to really highlight that you said, ordinary, ordinary, ordinary. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's good. And it's also a good reminder because it's like, yeah, we're being transported into the presence of God to receive not junk food. I like, I like that you said that we're receiving true food and true drink, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the substance of what we're receiving when we gather together for worship, especially when, you know, when we're taking the Lord's supper. Um, But, but even that, right? Like, why is it that people are searching for all of these innovations and like, how can we dress worship up and make it something that is going to be real attractive to people? Um, I think part of it is because we don't realize how good we have it. We're, people aren't thinking like, hey, we're, we're going to receive the body and blood of Jesus, the sure word of God's forgiveness. Um his grace to us. We, this isn't just like, like, this is what we need desperately. I love, um, you know, at the end of, of, uh, towards the end of Hebrews 12, when the author of the Hebrews is talking about coming before Mount Zion, the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, you know, innumerable angels, assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven to God, the judge of um, all to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, he says, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hmm. This is what's, this is what's happening. Like if, what if, what if people believed that when they gathered together with the church, that they were joining, not just their brothers and sisters here on earth, but also the church triumphant in heaven around the throne of God, together with the angels to hear the better word, um, the word that Christ's blood speaks, not the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cried out from the ground for justice, for condemnation, for judgment on his brother. Um, Christ's blood cries out for justification, hmm. for forgiveness. And the author of the Hebrew says, that's what we gather together to hear as we reach the top of Mount Zion. And this is why I think the gospel has to be central in our worship. Well, one, because the author of the Hebrew says right there, like it's the sure word of the forgiveness of sins. Um, and I think a lot of people aren't hearing that in worship and in preaching. And so that's another big problem. Um, but, but we just don't realize all of the richness that we have that God gives to us. It's not taught. It's not talked about. And so as a result, we, we, we try to, you know, uh, sort of create our own attractional model of church, uh, whatever that looks like. And again, that, that none of, I, I don't say any of that to knock 
um, the, the desire to be inclusive and sensitive to people who are seeking and, and wanting to understand. I think that we need to do that as a church. And, and frankly, I think in re reformed circles and Presbyterian circles, I think we have to be extra careful because yeah. we love rich theology. We want to make sure that we're communicating clearly to people so that wherever they're coming from, they, they have access to the stuff that we're talking about. It's not just for, you know, seminarians and, and uh, people who just love studying theology. It's for, um, it's for everybody. It's for, mm -hmm. for folks who don't, who don't get it at all. who haven't really read the Bible at all. We're trying to explain these rich truths uh, in, in ways that are helpful and in ways that really minister to Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step -step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guiltgrace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face -face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor-scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, Call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to an admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, his gospel, and his church. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. This kind of tees up this question, too. Um, very, very general, <clears throat> generally speaking, kind of want to talk about like the, the evangelical non-denominational church 
uh, churches that are probably a little bit more dominant or prime, uh, more common in America. But there is a difference in the way the Reformed Church structure, and ask anybody that's used to the evangelical mega church or non-denominational churches, and then goes to a Reformed Church, ask them that, you know, they'll say there is a difference. Um, so, uh, and this is a very, generally speaking, with some exceptions, uh, the, the evangelical non-denominational churches, uh, difference between reformed churches and the structure of their service. So how is this modern worship of churches, modern worship services, somewhat a new invention? Um, is it a new invention as opposed to how we worship historically? I know the reformed church, we kind of really hang our hat on being biblical, historical, going back to the early church fathers telling us how to worship. So, yeah. Well, so just, just really quickly first, I mean, when we're thinking about um, the worship of, you know, the, the Protestant reformers, I think that the focus certainly was not innovation or bringing new things into worship. It was, we need to go back to something that's simpler and more yeah. biblical. Yep. Um, so yep. stripping away, what they perceived to be the idolatrous aspects of worship that had crept into the church um, and had a strong foothold in the medieval church. So that could, you know, thinking about the sacrifice of the mass or thinking about images and worship, those kinds of things. So the, the reformers were not so much trying to be innovators as much as they were saying, no, we need to go, we need to go back. Um, with regard to a lot of how people or what people think about worship today in just, just more broadly Christian Bible evangelical churches, what, what folks don't realize is a lot of what has shaped that um, isn't so much the history of Christian liturgy or worship, but certain movements that were coming out of Pentecostalism in the 20th century uh, in North America. So it's this very sort of North American uh, Pentecostal, uh, basically what happened in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, was you had these groups, uh, charismatic groups, that experienced what they what they viewed as a revival in worship and a revival in praise, and they were basing essentially this revival on a couple passages of scripture, Hebrews 13, where it talks about the the sacrifice of worship that we're supposed to offer to God, uh, Psalm 22, where the psalmist says that God inhabits the praises of His people, and so there was a significant shift. Uh, around that time where the presence of God was viewed as primarily being communicated through song and worship. We're going to, we're going to usher in God's presence through praise and the way we experience God's presence in, in worship, in Christian liturgy is through praise and through song and extended periods of praise and music and song so that you had during that time the birth of essentially a new office in the church, the worship leader. Um, so that that actually was a, a pretty new thing. There were song leaders prior to that, or you think, you know, the history of Christian worship, you have maybe the minister leading, um, uh, that kind of a thing. But, but you really had the, this sort of new movement, the birth of the worship leader is almost this distinct um, priestly role in the church because what the worship leader was supposed to do is usher you into the presence of God through song 
mediate in one sense the presence of God uh, through song. And so I think this is one of the reasons why today, like if I'm talking to somebody on the street and they say, oh, I visited a church the other day um, and I really felt God in the worship. Hmm. I know what that means Mm -hmm. is not I really experienced the presence of God through the preaching of the gospel, or I really experienced a sense of God's love and forgiveness when I was taking the Lord's Supper. I know what that means is the music really made me feel something. Hmm. And, and I mean, that's not even to deny that like that's that's like the Lord working in, in yeah. an individual's life. But but that's worship today is almost exclusively reduced in, in some of these circles to the sort of praise and music and experiencing God there. And that's where the primary experience of God comes from. And that really was birthed out of these, these sort of North American Pentecostal movements that, you know, caught on like wildfire and then basically transformed the landscape so that now, you know, most evangelical churches that you go to, right. You'd be crazy not to have a worship leader. Um, that's just something that, um, or a band, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not just saying this is, as a historical fact, yeah. I'm not like, yeah. I would never go to a church with, with that kind of, I'm not, I'm not saying that I became a Christian in high school, primarily through the ministry of just a evangelical sort of non-denominational church where that's what we had. Yep. And, and I'm eternally grateful for, you know, the, that church and for the impact that that church had on my life. It's just more of, you know, getting to your question, Nick, um, in terms of the shifts and maybe some of the innovations and changes in worship that we've seen uh, in the last 50 years, 100 years. Uh, it's rooted in theology and, and some of it is theology coming out of these Pentecostal churches. And, and maybe just the, the big change has been, whereas historically, um, I mean, the, the, the way we experience God's presence has been viewed, you know, um, one throughout the whole liturgy, in particular through the preaching and also through the sacrament, right? Like when people would talk about the presence of Jesus in Christian worship, oftentimes it was debates about the Lord's Supper, um, the sacraments, how is Christ present with us here? The shift that took place put the 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 focus on God's presence, not so much on the word and the sacraments and what God was doing, what God was saying, um, what God was offering to us. It put the, the, the presence of God primarily on, in one sense, dependent upon us, on our praises, on our worship, on uh, the skill of the worship leader, that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Um, and that's a significant, that's a huge shift. That's a huge shift that I, I think a lot of people don't realize happened um, and that we sort of live with. And, and that, the, the, that's the waters that, that most people are swimming in. But they're not even aware of it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you, you've brought up a, a word a few times and um, maybe some people know it, maybe some people don't, um, but on, on liturgy, I know you've, you've done some work on liturgy. You've got some interest in liturgics. We had you here at Westminster a little while ago for um, kind of order of worship stuff and what liturgy is. And I think the average person thinks of that. It's like, it's a kind of a stuffy term. It's that's like, Oh, that's, that's just the high church thing. That's what Catholics do. That's what, that's what these Episcopalians are. If they, if they have a category for that, like, well, that's just, that's stuffy. That's too hard. That's, they're not letting us uh, kind of express ourselves uh, and how we, we think that God wants us to express ourselves. But um, so my, my, my question on, on this is maybe 
to not to quash those, but just to describe like what what is a liturgy and like how does that relate to worship? How does that relate to worship service? And kind of more broadly, do all churches have liturgies? Is is this is this not just a, a reformed or Catholic thing? Is this just a as a church thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, all churches do have liturgy, and I think a lot of times when people hear that word, um, they're either thinking right, like maybe maybe high church stuff, Roman Catholic or Episcopal or whatnot. Um, or they're thinking just the way in which uh, a church structures its service. And thinking of it in that way, right, it's obvious that every church has a liturgy. For some churches, it might be, you know, you show up and there's a song that's being played and you join in and then the pastor or someone else comes up and there's some announcements that are given and then maybe three songs after mm -hmm. that, and then maybe a video on the screen, and then maybe a testimony or a sermon, and then after that, another song, and then people can come forward and take communion if they want, or you know, or maybe there's no communion that Sunday, right? Oh, there's an order, there's a structure to worship. And again, that's why it's where, where I think in terms of structuring worship, we want to look at scripture and ask, you know, why we do what we do and when we do it. Um, throughout the, the worship service. But the word liturgy also is just a, it, it's a Bible word. Um, it's a word that we find in the New Testament, oftentimes related to um, the priestly service, uh, the, the priestly office that Jesus fulfills. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, it was often used in the context of the, the priestly offerings that were being made. Um, the work of God's people for the good of God's people as well. Um, that priestly service. And we are, as the people of God, uh, a priesthood of believers. And we're called to bring before God the uh, the offering of thanksgiving. You know, we don't offer um, to God propitiatory sacrifices of atonement like they did under the old covenant. That's been done by Jesus once for all, uh, as the book of Hebrews makes absolutely clear. Um, but we offer to God ourselves as his priestly people. Um, and the liturgy should afford us opportunities to, to do that. Um, we offer God ourselves in, in confession of sin, in the prayers that we pray, in the songs that we sing, um, in, in giving of our resources, um, our, our tithes, our offerings. Um, those are sacrifices that are good and pleasing to the Lord that we bring to him as his priestly people. And so, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it really is not a word that, you know, should strike fear into our hearts. Um, and I do think it is important for us to recognize that as, as you asked, you know, do, do all churches have liturgy? Yeah, we, we all do. Um, and as I said earlier, biblically speaking, one thing that's really clear about worship is that our worship is shaping us. Mm -hmm. It's molding us, it's molding our beliefs. And, and the question is like, because, because we all, are worshiping in some way, like what are we being molded into? How is our worship service uh, shaping us? What is it communicating to us about God, about his grace, about what he's accomplished? Um, because there are people who are spiritually deformed through idolatrous practices in worship. Um, that's why God takes worship so seriously in the Bible. That's why in Leviticus 10, he strikes down Nadab and Abihu for, for not um, offering the prescribed fire um, before the Lord in worship. It's because false worship or idolatrous worship um, 
deforms us, spiritually speaking, takes away from God, from his glory. Um, and so it's a serious thing. And, and again, that's part of what needs to be recovered, I think, in so many churches today is, is just that seriousness, that sense of what we're doing here is unique, it's serious, it's special, and it's glorious. It's we're, we're receiving these, these wonderful gifts from God for our good. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a good thing I kind of want to tie to that because I think a lot of people are saying, um, well, this could get complicated and my intentions are good because uh, I love God and, and that's all good and, and legit, but they, they kind of think that they can kind of, you know, s- shoot from the hip a little bit. And, and, and is, I guess my basis of my question would be, is just pure intention good enough? And I mean, we could go to Exodus 32. And you can ask Aaron what happened when he <laughs> worshiped the golden calf. His intention was to worship God and he did it in a completely wrong way. But what is, um, what's kind of your response to somebody that's intentionally thinking that they are worshiping God the right way, but you know that they're doing it completely uh, the right wrong biblically yeah i mean i guess i guess it would just depend on what we're we're talking about specifically so for somebody who's who loves the lord and wants to worship god and is sincere in that desire um but maybe is confused about some of these other things and just thinks oh i can just sort of do whatever i want in worship um and offer god whatever i want I mean, that, that can be really dangerous, right? Like think about like the, the entire book of Hebrews as this warning in, in saying, don't go back to the old covenant types and shadows of worship. You might be really sincere in your piety to God and in your desire to know God. But if you begin relying on these things again um, as, as a source for your own right standing in the community of faith, your own justification, what, what you're doing is you're actually trampling Jesus underfoot. And so sometimes, right, the, the warnings are very severe for, for individuals who are in worship, offering to God, maybe not uh, what, you know, that, that, that offering of thanksgiving in response to what Christ has done, but they're, they're coming with their own sacrifices, trying to justify themselves. Um, in that situation, you say, whoa, uh, take a step back. Like this is, this is serious. Um, for, for people who are like, um, you know, I'm sincere and, and, you know, they're, they're trying to grow and understanding these things. And, and, you know, I, I think that you, there's patience, right. And obviously the grace of God and we're working together, searching the scriptures. And I might, I might encourage them, you know, to, to dig deeper into the Bible, to get into a church community where, um, where scripture is, is valued and where what scripture says about worship is, is, you know, what, what's guiding the church in the things that she does. I think that that's really important, but definitely don't want to, you know, for the person who's like sincere, I'm a sincere worshiper of Jesus. Um, and maybe there's some stylistic differences. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to come in and be like, you know, beat him over the head with, um, the, the, the Bible or with, uh, my understanding of liturgy, I would, I would want to come alongside of them and, yeah. and say, Hey man, this is, this is great. And God, 
God cares about the fact that he's worshiped, but he also cares about how he's worshiped. And so um, even in terms of the, the how and what that looks like, that's not insignificant. That means something. And we're communicating something through how we structure our worship service and, and do those things. And, and it's important that we, we get that. Um, and, and yeah, that we're important that we understand that. That's, that's helpful. Even explaining kind of my personal past is I, when I was practicing Roman Catholic, I was very sincere and I didn't know any better, more or less. And um, that kind of is an extra question kind of thinking that, you know, the, in the Roman Catholic setting, a lot of it comes off as ritualistic and just uh, going through the motions on things. So how can you, when you're talking to a Catholic, especially, and that's all they know, how can you uh, clarify and answer that reformed worship still has a structure to it? uh, But we, there, there, there is a connection to the heart as well. And I'm not saying Roman Catholics don't have that connection to the heart, but how do you make sure that our uh, reformed church worship biblically ties biblically to the way God tells us to worship where it's not just exercise and rituals, but it's, there's actual uh, spiritual theological meaning behind it. So I, I would say a couple of things. One, I would say, obviously, right, like not all ritual is bad. Taking the Lord's Supper. Yeah. You know, weekly. I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of taking the Lord's Supper weekly. Um, that's, that's a ritual. That's, this, is, this is a ritual that's prescribed, something that Jesus gives to us to do. Um, but it's also something that if we're not careful, if you're not careful, um, you can come in a way that's, that's not good, right? Paul writing to the Corinthians makes this very clear. And so there are one, there are, there are biblical rituals, elements of worship, we might say that are very ordinary that people can get used to. And we have to check our own hearts in that. And then there are also not biblical rituals. There are, there are things that crept into the church or innovations that are, that are brought in that, that should just be removed, right? That like, this is just, this is what we're doing here actually is going to deform us spiritually speaking, because it's, it's not what God calls us to do. Um, so we have to distinguish between, you know, the, the, the elements of worship, the, the, the biblical rituals that are given to us, if you will, in scripture, and then maybe some other things um, that, that that's where, where that's not the case and can be detrimental to our, to our spirituality. Um, but I, I would just say, you know, you think about um, Israel under the old covenant. One passage that I go to is in Isaiah chapter one, where God says to them in verse 13, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me, new moon and Sabbath and calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, 
plead the widow's cause. So here, here God is rebuking them in their worship. And they're doing, it seems like, the prescribed things. You know, they're approaching God. They got the incense. They got all those things. But the issue is that the, 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 the heart problem, right, is sin, uh, iniquity, and solemn assembly. You're, you're raising your hands to me, but your hands are covered with blood. And so I think we just have to be careful as the people go. We're saying, okay, God has commanded us to worship in a particular way. Um, and he's calling us to do these things, to embrace these rituals, these elements of worship, to receive the gifts that he's giving to us, namely the gospel, the body and blood of Jesus by faith. And we have to be careful um, that when we come, we aren't just like Israel was in Isaiah 1, going through the motions faithlessly, because we can do the ritual, if you will, but if it's not mixed with faith. Um, right. This is, again, the, the warning that Paul gives in First Corinthians. Um, then there is there's a problem. So I think I think we have those conversations. We say, look, we're doing these things and they're biblical. Um, and we believe God calls us to do the, these things. But we, we also need to come um, examining ourselves. Right? That's the language that Paul uses in First Corinthians. Uh, come in faith, having prepared our hearts to to ascend. Uh, if you will, to go up Mount Zion and to receive the gifts that God has for us. And so we encourage each other with that, with the, with the solemnity of that, um, and with the reality of how God calls us to approach him in worship. That's, that's good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, may, maybe one more question, one and a half more questions for me. I'll let Peter jump in. To, um, this is kind of more based on application, because I think a lot of the audience is hearing this stuff and like, this is good help, but where do I go from here? You know, like, how do I start applying it? How do I know if I see it? So we know every church has a liturgy <clears throat> and they, it, hopefully it's guiding our worship of the triune God. And some obviously are crafted better than others. That's just the way it is. Um, as far as application goes from a biblically reformed church, how it should be. What would be an, a great example of a service structure breakdown so people can kind of just understand how this is going to work? Well, I mean, if people want a real um, good example, they can come to San Diego. Down nice. Here, yeah, North I North knew. Nice I'm just that's joking. Nice. That's terrible. I like it. Um, oh, that's coming. Does it... I would say, look, I would say. You know, I'm going to give you a quick little plug, too, because. I actually, I was, I was going to tell you before, and then I forgot. I was going to tell you after. I mean, I'll probably forget that too. Um, I kind of crafted our liturgy for Santa Ana with a lot of elements that you used too. Because yeah. Danny nice. Hyde is my pastor. Um, yeah. He, like, he kind of comes from the same kind of liturgical background. Um, but yeah, so plug it away because um, I, I used it a little bit. No, yeah. man. Well, here, here, here's what I would say in terms of application. Look. God and his word have to be central. Mm -hmm. yeah. The gospel has to be central in worship. So whatever, whatever kind of church you're a part of, ask yourself the question, is that central? Is the gospel central? I would make a case even from the Old Testament that the gospel should be central. The, 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 the pinnacle day in Israel's church calendar, if you will, was the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 17. Leviticus is 
the center of the Torah, right? The, the, the third book of the Old Testament, sort of, uh, you know, at the top of the mountain, if you will, right? Like all about worship through mm -hmm. sacrifice, entering back into God's house, into his presence after having, you know, fallen in Adam and, and rebelled against God. Now, now the people of God are on the doorstep of his house and he's welcoming, welcoming them in through this sacrificial worship. And central to that was the Day of Atonement, which mm. is what? A vivid picture of the gospel, mm -hmm. of the removal of sin through sacrifice, through the scapegoat. And that worship was supposed to shape the people in their understanding of their need for grace, in their, um, in their recognition of God's mercy, right? That, that was central. And worship shapes our theology, shapes our belief. So what is God communicating there? The sort of high, high point of the church's history or calendar um, year there under the old covenant. He's, he's communicating the importance of forgiveness. He's placarding in one sense, very clearly, the gospel through types and shadows uh, before the people. And again, that's the, the sure word of forgiveness that we should be hearing every week on the basis of Hebrews chapter 12, where we go up Mount Zion to hear the better word, the, the, the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Um, it's Christ and him crucified. And so I, I would say, you know, rather than getting into, and I, I do think it's important to talk about the, the various, certainly the elements, but also the structure, how we structure our worship service, because I, I find that a lot of times that's can be done haphazardly in churches. Um, and there, there should be a rhyme and reason behind that. And I think there's, there's, there's biblical data that we can pull from that will help us with that. But I would, I would just say for listeners, is the word central? Is Christ central? Is he being placarded before you for the forgiveness of your sins? Um, if, if that's not central, because it's the word that shapes and sustains the church then there's a liturgical problem and um a, 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 yeah and so um that's that's one thing i would say and then another sort of practical thing maybe that i might add is i think that we've we've lost um just a sense of like the need to prepare for worship right like um, one of the things I try to do for our church every week is send the liturgy out ahead of time with all the songs we're going to sing, all the scriptures we're going to be reading, obviously the sermon text. Um, and my hope is that families will take that on Saturday night or sometime during the week and stop and say, hey, let's sing one of these hymns and pray that God helps us and grants us understanding. And even um, gosh, the Westminster catechisms talk about how the word of God is to be received, that it may be efficacious for salvation. And, and we're told that we should receive it with diligence, with preparation and with prayer. Um, and so I think viewing, viewing the service as that ascent into the presence of God, where he's going to give us his gifts and preparing our hearts for that is really important, practically speaking. Uh, and so those are the two things I'll leave you with. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, well, we don't we don't have much much time left, so we want to be cognizant of of your time and, and our time as well. But I'll uh, I'll end on um, I'll I'll combine a couple questions. Um, so 
beyond kind of the Bible and people are like, yeah, yeah. Like that's the Bible. And we're saying like, yeah, like read, read what it says and, and, and see what Leviticus says about how we're, how we're in his presence and, and all this stuff. And somebody who's looking like, is, is there somewhere I can look that like maybe gives me kind of an outline of what worship is and, and how the Bible talks about worship and what I should be looking for. There's maybe any potential resources you can point them towards say, Hey, if you want to think about worship, well, this is, this is maybe somewhere you can start. Um, and then kind of moving them on from, from that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I definitely want to plug Dr. Michael Horton's a mm. better way. Um, okay. Yep. And so, I mean, that's one that I would point to. I think, I think for me, um, what's been helpful is just studying the, the history of Christian liturgy okay. and even different, different liturgies um, in the past. Uh, so you think of like the liturgy of John Chrysostom, the liturgy of St. James, Calvin's liturgy in Geneva, like that, that I, I really enjoy looking at those things yeah. and through, and there are even commentaries on those liturgies. You know, we have commentaries on, on books of the Bible. Uh, there are commentaries on, on those and sort of unpacking some of the theological rationale and basis and um, for, for why Christians have done things that they've done historically in, in worship. And so I would say, you know, it's, it's good to, to read broadly to obviously, first and foremost, let, let your mind, when we're talking about worship, be shaped by scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some, some guys you read, you know, you, you chew the meat and you spit out the bones. Um, but it's, it's, it's helpful to read broadly in, in this area and, and to sort of weigh what you're reading um, against scripture and, and to see where you're getting some good insights, uh, biblically speaking. Uh, with regard to worship, but um, yeah, in terms of something more more recent, you know, I got to plug Mike's book. So, <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, I I figured you're to go somewhere somewhere along along that route. Yeah, that's that's a I I have that book. I haven't read it yet. I need I need to read that book. Um, I'm excited to to read that. So yeah, as we as we end this, where can people find you? Find your work? What you're up to? Um, Anything that you're working on, what you're doing at Core, how North Park's doing, all that, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're we're well. I mean, Core is uh, just a, a lot of fun, a huge blessing. It, it really is a, a blessing to work with the team here at Solo Media. It's encouraging for me, and it seems like it's been fruitful by the grace of God uh, in terms of having an impact on on the audience. And so that's that's been really cool. Church, um, obviously, that's that's the main thing, right? Uh, uh, a pastor and um, we're we're coming up on um, eight years Same, now yeah. uh, where we're at and looking at hopefully bringing on an assistant pastor yep. soon I saw that yeah um, so still in process there but really excited about that and God's provision for us and uh, just wanting to continue to to grow in that um, working on a actually working on a book on the Lord's prayer right now. I saw, that. Yeah, I saw that little Twitter post. Yeah. And so that, that should be um, hopefully done at least the first draft in January. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to chip away at that little by little um, would love to write something on this worship stuff. I just feel like I, I, this is like one of my favorite topics. So yeah. uh, maybe down the line we'll, we'll, we'll do something with that. Um, but yeah, by the grace of God, man, like I said, just really thankful for the faithfulness of Jesus and um, great, great to get to be on with you guys again. Thanks again for the work you guys do. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's our, it's our pleasure. Yeah. We, I knew once we were um, crafting this, this season and we, one of the first ones we looked at is worship. Um, Cause we kind of, I largely based it off of one of, one of Danny's books and kind of his structure on welcome to reformed church. And so I was talking yeah. with Danny about this. And when we looked at worship and liturgy is like, I think, I think we know the guy to go to for, for this the one, the one who at least tweets about it the most that I, that I see. Yeah. Um, so Sorry. Was, yeah, I'm so, like, yeah. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, I've, I have loved your interactions with, with some of these things and thinking, thinking better about worship. This is, it's, I think it's a really helpful topic for people to, to dig into. And it's just not, I think you assume, you know what it is in a sense, until you're actually exposed to what it is like we we're talking about the beginning of this episode this is we're being invited into the heavenly realms we're mm-hmm. we're worshiping the triune god in the heavenly realms and I, i'm not sure that comes across a lot of people most of the time so it's it's uh, it's a really helpful corrective and knowing that this is not new what what we're doing this is we're recovering something that we kind of we kind of missed along the lines but yeah thanks for thanks for talking about this and I'm sure I'm sure we'll have you on again soon in the future. But thanks for your work with Core with uh, with North Park North Park. It's a pleasure to know you and uh, yeah, let's let's uh, soldier on. Sounds good, man. Always a pleasure. God bless you guys. You too. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, This is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.